This is episode number 162 with a one-of-a-kind business marketing coach and comedic personality, Hal Coleman. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. My name is Nick Carrier, lifestyle entrepreneur and fitness trainer. My goal is for you to gain more clarity on what the best version of yourself looks like, what the best version of yourself is capable of, and then to give you the tools, tips, and inspiration on how to make that person a reality. Today I bring you Hal Coleman. Hal is a sales and marketing coach and has taught thousands of business owners how to become master marketers and communicators. Hal, years ago, created his own comedic personality called Milton Crabapple. He created this character to get on a radio show, and then the rest is history. In this episode, Hal talks about his most important business lesson, his biggest piece of advice for small business owners, how he created the character Milton Crabapple, how he used a python snake to help grow his business in this story you do not want to miss, and so much more. Make sure you take a screenshot of this episode when you're listening and post it to your Instagram stories and tag me at carrier underscore best you and let me know your favorite part. Make sure you share this episode with a friend or family member. Just share the link from the podcast or text them nickcarrier.com slash podcast. Send this to someone who is a part of a small business and they're looking for a way to stand out. Send this to someone who needs to be uplifted during these challenging times. Also, if you're struggling to exercise during this quarantine, go to nickcarrier.com slash fitness and pick up my ebook, The Bodyweight Grind. It's just $10. It's a four-week bodyweight workout program that is perfect during this quarantine. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on getting closer to the best version of yourself today with the one, the only, Hal Coleman. All right. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I am super excited today to have the one and only Hal Coleman with me today. Uh, Hal, I just want to start off by saying thank you for spending the time with me today. Oh, I'm excited. And it's a good thing there's only one of me. That's what people say. So you've got all of me here today. Oh, that's definitely one of the reasons I've been uh, super excited to to have you on. I know you have some amazing experiences and amazing knowledge, but I've uh, been laughing out loud to some of your YouTube videos as well, so I'm excited to uh, get some more laughs in today. But basically, to introduce you real quickly, uh, Hal is the president of Coleman Services Incorporated. He's a sales and marketing coach. He's taught thousands of business owners, managers, and salespeople how to become master marketers and communicators, but you're also a speaker and an entertainer, and you have uh, created kind of your own persona, Milton Crabapple, so I'm excited to at some point dive into a little bit of that and, and that whole story, but the, basically the way I want to start off today, Hal, is kind of where I'm not really sure, a little bit of the timeline of your life. I saw that you went to Young Harris College and then the University of Georgia. I went to University of Georgia as well. And then you started North Fulton Exterminating back in 1990. So there was kind of a relatively big gap in between uh, school and when you started the business. So I kind of want to just talk about what you were doing during that time in that okay. during that time in well, between. I actually did go to Young Harris College. I went there for two and a half years before my parents found out it was a two-year school. So, you know, I uh, I was not the best student in the world, but I did get out of there, went on to the University of Georgia, and I majored, kind of stumbled into this major, which was entomology, which is bugs. I wanted to be a wildlife biologist, but when I found out basically what they did back in those days was they spent, a, I, I thought that I would be out, you know, with the tranquilizer gun, shooting the rhinoceros and taking blood samples and all this kind of stuff. 
then I found out what I would actually be doing would be digging holes, putting up fences, moving rocks, swinging a sling blade all day long, chopping weeds and helping take care of some wildlife managed area, which is nothing but a big tract of woods. So, you know, uh, and uh, my advisor said, uh, you know, you'll always have a government job. You'll never make any money and you'll be moving to some podunk place that your family won't like. And he said, I see you took an entomology class here last year. Did you like that? I said, yeah, I liked it a lot, you know. And he said, that's what you need to major in. And because he said, you'll always have a great job. You get a degree in entomology, you'll always have a great job in agriculture, pest control industry, chemical companies, manu- you know, he said, sales, whatever you want to be in. And you can take, you can minor in wildlife biology and get all that out of your system. So, okay. So I did. It was the best piece of advice anybody ever gave me about my education there because I got a job with the government, actually, with the Georgia Department of Agriculture. As soon as I graduated from college, I went straight to work for the Georgia Agriculture Department as a pest control regulatory inspector. I worked there for 10 years, and then I, I kind of got to the end of my pay grade. And uh, I said, geez, you know, it's got to be more than this. And the next step up for me as far as an advancement was going into the office, which was across the street from the Capitol down in Atlanta. And I said, I can't see me driving from Roswell to the Capitol every day for the rest of my life. That's just not going to happen. So I I, I actually got offered, I kind of had a standing offer from a pest control company. You know, they said, if you ever get tired of working for the state, you know, you, you always have a job with us. So I called the guy, they hired me. And I went to work there learning the private side of the pest control business. I spent six years there. And then in June of 1990, went in business for myself, started as one man with a spray can. And, you know, I eventually built a million dollar business. And I had gotten really interested in coaching through actually a, just a coincidence, but a good friend of mine was a marketing and sales guy he went around the country speaking to people and teaching people how he was i tell people he was he was like tony robbins before tony robbins became tony robbins you know what i mean and so uh he began to teach me about selling and marketing and the, the psychology and neuroscience behind it and the hypnosis and everything that was involved in this high level of psychological selling and i said wow Nobody in the pest control business knows anything about this this stuff. So we started using my business as a guinea pig. And just after about a year or two, I said, wow, you know, everybody needs to know this stuff. And I got so interested in teaching it to other people that I just sold my business. That was about almost 13 years ago uh, and just became a full-time sales and marketing coach. I do seminars and workshops. I have private clients that I work with in the United States and in Australia and in the UK. And uh, it's quite rewarding because you start working with a small business uh, that is struggling, really struggling to keep their head above water, you know, living from paycheck to paycheck. And you just teach them how to get it on a growth track and how to start making money and hiring employees. And you watch them grow and then it's it's just really rewarding. So that's kind of where I am today. I mean, that may have been more than you wanted to know with that. 
No, that's that's great. I want to pick it back up where you had kind of started your own your own business, like you said, one man spray can, and you took it to a million dollar business and then and then sold it. What were some of those most important things that you did that kind of were like the turning point for your business? Like, what were some of those? Um, you know, you talked about how you learned a lot of neuroscience and how to really communicate and how to really sell. What are some of those action steps that you took? that allowed you to kind of make the turning point and really accelerate your business yeah. growth? Uh, well, probably the number one thing that was a turning point for me was when I was, I was actually listening to an audio CD of a guy named Dan Kennedy, who was, a, was known as the millionaire maker. He's probably the most successful direct marketing coach the world has ever known. And uh, I was listening to a CD and somebody asked him, said, if, if you knew somebody who was going into business, they were going to start a business and you could only give them one piece of advice, what would that be? He said, oh, there's no question what it would be. I would tell them to go out and look at all of their, everybody that's going to be their competition. Look at all the competition and see how they're doing things and don't do any of it that way. He said, you've got to find a way to be different than all of your competition. And so that really sunk in with me. And, and I began to find ways to, to make myself different. Even though I was a small pest control company, but I did a lot of out-of-the-box stuff that uh, nobody would even think of doing to try to get myself on the map and build up a clientele of people who, they didn't just want to do pest control. They wanted to, to, to hire Hal Coleman to get rid of their pest. I'll give you an example of a funny thing I did. You're probably going to bring this one up. I just think I watched the video on maybe the story that you're going into. I've watched a video about a python snake. Yeah. I, uh, one of my employees was really into reptiles, and I was into them too, and kind of as a hobby. And so we actually bought a 16-and-a-half-foot-long, 160-pound live Burmese python snake. And I put it under my cousin's house. She had a crawl space under the house and, and it had polyethylene under it. It was kind of clean. So she said it was okay to do this. So this snake was like this big around. So I put this snake under the house and then I called all of the news stations, you know, in town, the radio, TV, the, the newspaper, Atlanta Journal Constitution. And I said, look, there's this giant snake under this house and we're going to go under there and get it, drag it out. So the next day so they showed up and we got on the six o'clock news i got a big write-up in the newspaper and the lady we got the snake out in the yard and you know we were letting them touch it and everything and the lady from the journal constitution said how do you suppose that thing got under there and i said well i put it under there she said why would you put it under there i said well have you heard of big snakes getting under houses before? You know, she said, yeah. I said, well, we just wanted people to be able to see what you have to go through to get a big snake out from under a house like that. You know, and she was like, uh, well, that's, that's cool. You know, and she's writing it all down. So people talked about that snake thing for several years. You know, they, I can't believe you did that snake thing or you're the guy with the snake and, you know, being a marketer, we bought the snake for $300 and then we had it, we put it in a big trash can. We had a guy meet us there at the house and we sold it to him for $400. So we made a hundred bucks on the snake too. So you don't pass up any opportunities, there but doing things like that out of the box. And I, and I, I, I just, uh, 
realizing what I teach my clients, you know, you don't want to just be another, uh, you don't want to be selling another basket of apples. You've got to always find a way to compare apples to oranges. And you want to be the orange and, and everybody else is an apple. Mm -hmm. So that your first job is con to convince people that oranges are 10 times better than apples. They taste better. They're better for you. They smell better. They're more beautiful. You can do all kinds of things with an orange, but with an apple, you know, all you can do is just, so you convince everybody first that oranges are better than apples. And then, well, where do I get an orange? Well, I'm the only one that has the orange. You see, yeah. so now everybody comes to you to buy the orange. So you have to find a way to make your service, to position your service or your product so that you got me or all of them. Yeah. We're different than they are. And when you can do that, that's called a unique selling proposition. And it's uh, once you develop that and understand it, then you set yourself apart from everybody. And now people come to you because they can't get what you, they can't get that experience from other people. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I love that. I think there anything you can do to, to stand out and like the wilder and, and crazier it is, the better. So is that, is that kind of one of the reasons that you started doing the Milton crab apple thing? No, the, the Milton crab apple thing. I always did character voices. When I was a kid, I could imitate, Almost every bird out there, crows, quail, doves, I could make all these noises. I don't know. I just had a talent for it. And uh, I found I could imitate people's voices also. So I don't know if you remember Walter Brennan, the old actor from years and years ago. You know, he kind of talked like this, had an old voice, you know, and he was on lots of Westerns and the real McCoys and all this stuff. So I could imitate him even when I was a kid. So I was listening. There was a popular talk show host in Atlanta. His name was Ludlow Porch. And he had a syndicated talk show, and it was folksy stuff. He did trivia and old-time movies. And every day he would have a topic that, you know, a lot of people my age and older, it wasn't really, although a lot of young people listened to it, but it was for people who had been around a while because of a lot of history and old movies and things, and, and the people called in. He called them his wackos. He had this regular group of people that would call in every day and talk. And uh, so I was at a New Year's Eve party one time, and, and a buddy of mine said, do you ever listen to Ludlow Porch? I said, no. I said, I think my dad does. He said, you should listen to it sometimes. I said, well, what do they play? He said, well, they don't play anything. He said, they talk. It's a talk show. And I said, well, why would I want to listen to people talk? I listen to music, you know. And uh but I tuned it in. He said, you should call in one day and just use that old Walter Brennan voice of yours and uh, call yourself Milton Crabapple, which was funny because Milton is right up here in Crabapple. It used to be a Milton cat. So that name was funny. So uh, I started listening to it. And after about a week, I thought, you know, I could call in and crack that guy up. So I called in in character, uh, Milton Crabapple, and he loved it. He just went nuts. And so his producer called me back and said, you know, who are you? I said, well, I never went out of character. I said, I'm Milton Crabapple. You know, I live in Crabapple. Oh, He's like, God. oh, but don't you have another name? No, I, you know, so I started calling in every Friday and this went on for years, but uh, after a while it got so popular that uh, 
I was I was uh, already a recording artist with Southern Tracks Records in Atlanta. Uh, I recorded their uh, country country music. I was on their record label under the name Slim Chance. That was my recording name. So uh, I went to Bill Lowry, who was the president of Southern Tracks Records, and I said, "Look, I would we ought to do an album. The Milton Crabapple is so popular out there that." Yeah, actually, a friend of mine had written a song named called Shady Grove about this old little church he grew up in in North Carolina called Shady Grove Baptist Church. And it was a really poignant song. You know, we listened to it. It just took you way back. And I said, you know, we Milton Crabapple could do that song, just talk it. So we, I was in the recording studio one day with some guys and we just put it down just almost as a demo just recorded it but it came out just had this little magic so i sent it to little porch because i thought he would enjoy hearing it right. so the next day i'm riding my car and i have the radio on i hear ludlow say oh well, you're in for a treat today because today you're going to hear milton crabapple sing uh, uh, holy smokes he's going to play that on wsb radio so he played it people went nuts over it he played it every day for about a week and then one day i'm driving along and i heard somebody say this lady, I can never forget she had this strangest country twang. She said, Ludlow, where could I get a copy of that song by Milton Crabapple? And he oh said, uh, well, you can't. He said, I have the only copy in existence. And by then, I'm already making a U-turn in the road. And I go back to the Roswell post office. And I said, y'all have me, I need to get a post office box. And they said, well, we... We only have one left, one available right now, box 36. And I said, I, I'll take it. I'll take it. So I called the next day and I said, look, if anybody wants a copy of that song, tell them send $5 to Crabapple Records, post office box 36, Roswell, Georgia, and I'll send them one. So I go over there about a week later and the post office box is full of $5 bills. And so oh, I went and bought gosh. a box of blank cassette tapes. I had my my little boy, he was about eight years old, had a ghetto blaster, you know, cassette player, but it, it had a dubbing side on it. So I'm sitting up at night dubbing copies of that song off and taking a magic marker and writing, I wrote a C for circle, like copyright, you know, and then write the title of it on there and I'm sending it to people. And then I did another little song called That Girl Earned Mule. Sent it. They loved it. So then I put tell them for seven fifty they can get both. <laughs> so, oh, so I went word. to Bill Lowry and I said, "Look, Bill, I'm selling these cassettes. You know, we ought to do an album here." He said, "Well, is there a Milton Crabapple? I mean, can you be? Is there a real Milton Crabapple, or you just do the voice?" I said, "Oh no, I could go out and get in front of a crowd of people and do it." So we he arranged for a in the studio. We brought in a hundred people down there and. uh recorded a live album nothing but milton talk wow. and had two or three little songs on there so over the period of the next five years we did an album every year live album in the studio had it catered by the varsity oh and, my gosh. Uh, so that's how that was born and then i started kind of doing keynote speeches and things and it just kind of took off but i don't do much with it anymore except on facebook i do a lot of facebook stuff with milton crabapple yeah, but I don't go do keynote speeches anymore because I just kind of lost my, my business. I do that with my business. So right. Milton, Milton is a, there's, I have a love hate relationship with Milton. I think it's so cool how that happened. 
I think it's the, the biggest lesson that I'm like taking out of it is that do everything that you can. I don't know. Like the, there's just like one little thing that your that your friend said at a New Year's Eve party. Like you should call, and just because you took that small action, it grew into something so so large. So it's like any like hunch you might have about something that you're good at or a talent you have or something like go for it. Yeah, and I don't know if you've ever read the book Outliers by Mountain. I have not. Yeah, and so, see, I'd been in the recording business and the songwriting business for years, even though I was a bug killer during the daytime. But at night, I was transformed <laughs> into, you know, this music guy, singer, songwriter. And I would go to Nashville on the weekends. And, you know, I had some big songs recorded. I actually had a number one country song I recorded with Jerry Reed that I wrote and uh, Ray Stevens and so I was in the business. So I saw this, uh, you know, there again, I was being prepared for this, I guess, because when the opportunity came along and, and I saw that fans liked this character, I thought, oh, I could get in a recording studio and record this and make a record out of it. And, and I, could turn, I could turn this into something. And other characters were on his show that were funny too, but they had no idea had no idea how to capitalize on it or anything. You know, they just called in and did their funny stuff, but I'm sitting here thinking, Oh, I can monetize this thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. I can create another stream of income for myself from Milton crab apple. Yeah. That's awesome. Let me do a shameless plug. People can go to miltoncrabapple.com and they can download my entire catalog right now by clicking the link download. There's about eight albums on there. Thank you. I love it. No, I love it. I'll, I'll have to go check it out. I've, I've watched some of the, the YouTube videos, more of like kind of like the stand-up stuff. Um, I don't think I've heard any of the songs yet, but I'll have to go check it out. So I want to bring you to kind of the transition of selling your company into more going like the full-time speaker and coach sort of a thing. So what was kind of early on when you transitioned into this being your business, like being a speaker and coach, what was maybe the biggest struggle that you had that you didn't foresee or maybe the biggest just challenge in general that you had early on there when you, that you didn't foresee before going into it. The biggest challenge I had was, was managing employees. I guess I would kind of compare myself to Andy Griffith when it comes to being a manager, <laughs> you know, laid back and easy going. And, uh, I, uh, in the later years there, I ended up being president of the Georgia pest control association. So being secretary of treasurer, then vice president and then president, that took me out of my office and and I for about two years. And I tell people, you know, the good thing is I had people that could run my office while I was gone. But the bad thing is I had those people running my office while I was gone. So yeah. when I got done being chairman of the board that, that year and I came back and I had all these ideas, I had learned all of this stuff and I wanted to really apply it all to my business. My employees didn't want any part of that because they were all overpaid, underworked, lazy, set in their ways, set in their rhythms, cushy jobs. They didn't want any, they didn't want me messing with anything. But I wanted yeah. to change everything because we just, we'd reached a point where I saw that we were growing, but I said, man, we could grow so much faster. I could just build this business up so much faster, but none of my employees wanted to do that. So that was a real struggle. So I hired a consultant to come in who I'd known in the industry for probably close to 20 years. 
And, and I said, look, I want you to come in and I want you to draw me up a five-year business plan for this business. I need your help, the, the plan that I can follow. So he spent about a month in my office going through everything and, and he, he came up with this plan. Now keep in mind, he is a, an extremely left brain individual. I'm an extremely right brained individual. So we sat down to look at the plan, and the very first thing was you need to, you have to fire your operations manager, and you come in and take over the operations of the business because you can't afford to pay this guy fifty thousand dollars a year. You're upside down in your payroll. You got to come. I said, me, come into the office every day. You kidding me? What would my other three guys do in my foursome, you know, on the golf course? I mean, I said, I'm, I'm not coming into this office every day. I've been there, done that. I'm not coming in here and stay here all day long and, and, and drive these people. I'm just not going to do it. I'm out to the Chamber of Commerce, going to lunch with people, playing golf. And, you know, he said, well, you have to do that. And I said, no, I don't have to. I said, if it's such a good plan, why don't you just buy the company and do it yourself? And there was this almost like a stop photo. It was like both of us just froze. And he said, are you serious? And I said, I am if you are. And five minutes later, we had settled on a price and 90 days later, we closed on the deal. I went home. I told my wife, I said, I think I sold my business today. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, this guy, he, 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 he wants, has this plan that I don't want to follow. And, and he, he wants to buy the business and I'm tired of it. I want to jump into the coaching full time. I said, I would like to just, I've had this business for 18 years, you know, been there, done that. I'd like to throw my flashlight and my coveralls in the trash can and just start working with other businesses. So it, it was kind of like that. Somebody said, did you regret doing it? I said, well, I did it first because when we, when I signed the papers at the closing table at the bank with the attorney there and I walked out of there knowing that I didn't own the business anymore, I had all this regret, but I said, it was gone by the time I left the parking lot. It's like the regret lasted about five minutes. Yeah. You know, and that night I woke up at two o'clock in the morning and I realized I didn't have any employees anymore oh. and I didn't have a fleet of vehicles anymore. And it's just like, <sighs> Oh my gosh. At that. Sleep. What a story. Yeah. I can't believe that's, that's crazy. It's like, I can picture what you mean by like seeing the snapshot of you saying like, well, how about you just buy the business? Then he's like, uh, I'm in. Yeah, yeah. That's the way it happened. <laughs> yeah. So then you went on basically immediately started going to it, the coaching, the, the coaching side of things. Mm -hmm. What early on, was there like the same thing that a lot of the people you were working with were struggling with? Like, was it the same thing that everybody was like, I need help with this. I need help with this. I need help with this. Well, I don't help people manage their money or their computer programs. Uh, I'm strictly about sales and marketing, how to make the phone ring, how to get people to okay. call you and sign up and pay you money, how to get customers, how to get customers, how to get customers. That's what I'm all about. 
Okay. So what what with with sales and marketing then? What was maybe one or two of the biggest tips that you would give them in order to acquire customers that they had not heard before or that they had not applied before? Well, back to what I told you I heard from Dan Kennedy. I had to teach them how to be different because they all the companies were telling people the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we come out, we we treat you like family, we get rid of your bugs, we use the best products and we're gonna work hard and and so when everybody's telling everybody the same thing, the only differentiator people can come up with is the price. Yeah. Yeah. So now I ended up I was the most expensive pest control company in Atlanta. I was just a little tiny company, but I was more expensive than Orkin, Terminex, Sears. I charged this exorbitant fee and people paid it because they they were going to get an experience from me that they weren't going to get from those from those people. So they were willing to pay for it. And and that's one thing I teach people is you can't compete on price. You have to compete on service and expertise and give people an experience that they're willing to, you know, you don't sell the steak, you sell the sizzle, yeah. so to speak. And okay. uh, that's the first thing I teach people. You've got to find a way to be different from everybody else. And when I take on a coaching client, the first thing we do is we come up with ways to set them apart from their competition. And then I'll give you an example. In other words, uh, one of the first things I learned from Larry Latimer is everybody gets rid of rats. All pest control companies deal with rodents, you know, rats and mice. So when you call around companies, do you all do rat inspections? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Well, so I came up with a seven-point rodent survey and analysis of your home. It's just a fancy way of saying a rat inspection. Yeah. But I broke it down into seven things that we do. We look to identify how they're getting in, what kind of rodent it is, where their food source is, what kind of damage they're doing, wh- how we're going to get rid of them, what kind of traps or baits, and are we going to get a guarantee? So seven things. So, no, we do a complete seven-point rodent survey and analysis of your home. Yeah. And that sounds really good, but it's just a rat inspection. Right. So now everybody else does a rat inspection. When we do a seven-point rodent survey and analysis of your home. Yeah, everybody likes that, like, clarity and the simplicity of that. Yeah, and but it sounds much better than a rat inspection, you know. That's true. And, and I teach people, you know, a, a, a guarantee that's different than everybody else's. Uh, having a... a when they hire me, I'm an entomologist. So if they hire me as a coach, now they automatically have an entomologist on staff who's go. available, who's, who's one phone call away, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And no, no other small companies have that. And the thing about it is nobody would ever say you can call me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Cause they think they think in their minds, people are going to be calling them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but they're not. Yeah. Because they're in the bed when you're in the bed. Right. Yeah. But it sounds good. Oh, no, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of people, it's so funny. So many people like have, have that as I feel like with business like 24 seven, but it's like not always is it, is it utilized? All right. So you, you were, you've coached a lot of people and with coaching a lot of people, you've probably realized that, you know, some people are, 
take coaching better than others and will take advice and then implement it quicker than other people will take advice and implement it. What is the difference between somebody who is quick to take action on the advice that a coach gives or that you have given versus somebody who is not kind of willing to implement the steps that you're providing with providing them? Well, have you ever played a sport? Yes. What, what did you play? Played uh, baseball and football. Okay. So you know about coaching then. Some, some people can be coached. And one guy, you know, I told you to, to go 10 yards and turn to the left and run as fast as you can. Why do you keep going straight? Well, I, it just looked like it's more open out there and there were too many people over here. You know, and going back to school, you had good students in the class, straight A students who did what they were told. They always had their homework. They always completed their assignments. They were in class every day. And then you had other people who, like me, <laughs> when I was in school, who consummate ADD class clown, who never had my homework done, always disrupting the class by, you know, releasing a bumblebee with a piece of thread tied to its leg or something to freak the teacher out or whatever. I have narrowed it down now where when I used to take on anybody that wanted coaching and some of them were so I couldn't get them to do anything. They always had a reason why they thought it wouldn't work. They wanted to argue, you know, they had an excuse every week why they didn't do what I told them to do. And, and uh, so now very selective about who I let in my program. They got to be coachable. They got to, if they have to trust me 110% and do everything I tell them to do, because it'll work. It's not stuff that I'm guessing at. It's just proven stuff. It's like telling somebody wants to lose weight. Look, you're going to limit your calories to first thing I'm going to tell you to do is you're going to limit your calories to X amount of day. And you're going to start walking a mile every day. And I'll talk to you next week. And the next week, now, what is it? Well, you know, I, I ate a tub of ice cream last week because we were over at a friend's house and I brought the leftovers home. And I didn't get a chance to walk this week because it was too hot one day. It was too cold one day. And it was raining one day. And I didn't get home till after dark. And so they, you know, you either, I'm just telling you how to lose weight. It's mm-hmm. not rocket science so here's step one and if you're not going to do that then why are you paying me you're wasting your money and you're wasting my time so these days i have this long conversation and and i tell my wife says you're going to get in trouble telling people that this is what i tell people i said because when we start out and if they sign on to my program and and we get ready for our first meeting i said now every week you're going to have a small assignment to do And if you don't do it, I'm going to come out there. I'm going to find you and I'm going to kill you. (laughs) I said, okay, you know, that's, you know, I've had some clients that I almost had to take a Xanax about 30 minutes before the coaching call, because I was going to just be so frustrated and hear all of these excuses, all of these, you know, and basically, uh, what's going on there is it's it's fear with a lot of people they really fear growing their business they don't think they do but they do because it, it, you you bring on all these other things employees and vehicles and things you have to bring in and 
it's like somebody that can cook really well. Have you ever known anybody cook really well? And people say, you should start a restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start a restaurant, you'll never cook another meal for the rest of your life because you're going to be busy running a restaurant. So that's kind of the way it is. You're teaching them what they got to do to start a restaurant, but they're, they just want to keep cooking. Yeah. Is there, um, when, when you're having these conversations with people, when you're trying to figure out kind of whether or not to take them on, on as a client, cause like you said, you're rel- you're pretty selective now making sure that you get the people who are coachable. What are some of the things that you can either ask them or some of the things that you listen for to determine whether or not they're going to be that coachable client or whether or not they're going to be that stubborn client who, for whatever reason, never falls through with the things that you say to do? Well, that's a good question. I have a questionnaire I send them. Uh, I offer a free one hour. I call it a one hour double your business strategy session with me. Free doesn't cost you a penny. You're going to learn a lot of great stuff. You're going to get really focused about your business and learn exactly what you're going to have to do to grow it. You're going to identify some hurdles that are in front of you and all of this stuff. So we'll set up that one hour, but I'm going to send you a questionnaire to fill out. You got to fill it out and return it to me prior to our meeting so that Mm -hmm. I don't have to spend the whole meeting asking you all of these questions. And then we go over that questionnaire in detail, I think it has 13 questions and it takes about an hour to go through all those. But by the time we get through it, I've already determined if they're going to be coachable or not because of the questions I ask and different things. And uh, that's part of what that's designed to do is help me eliminate and also eliminate the tire kickers and curiosity seekers who just want to take up an hour of my time. So they won't fill it out. So I I don't, you don't fill it out. I won't spend the hour with you. So some of them will say, yeah, send it to me. I send it to it, but they never send it back. So I never hear from them again because they're not serious because they won't take the time to fill out the questionnaire. Yeah. Sounds like a great way to, to weed people out. That's for sure. Um, what is, and it could be, it could be at the beginning of your, of this, the coaching business. It could be the, the North Fulton exterminating business. But what's maybe one of the most important business decisions that you made not knowing? You didn't really know the importance of it at the time. But in hindsight, you realize the significance of it. I would say there's a couple of things. And one of them is that to always, always give people more than what they expected Mm. surprise them with how much they get Uh, napoleon hill calls it the extra mile formula always give them more than what they paid for give them more than what they expected and give them little free things from time to time and what that does it it engages what's known as the law of reciprocity yeah, if you, uh, you know, the law of reciprocity is if I give you something, you automatically want to give me something in return. If I do you a favor, you want to return the favor. And a simple illustration is if you're going to a restaurant to eat and you're walking across the parking lot and you come up to the door and, and there's a stranger a couple of steps behind you, what do you do? You open the door for them. And then when they get into the second set of the doors, what do they do? They open the door for you. So if you understand how that works, 
you're constantly opening the doors for your customers and your customers feel not only a sense of, ob- of appreciation, but they feel a sense of obligation to help you and, and they can help you by sending you other customers. The yeah. law of reciprocity uh, and, and, and the extra mile formula, it made a big, big difference. And, and that's Zig Ziglar. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of it. It kind of summed it up. He said, you can have anything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. Yeah. And that's what Henry Ford did. That's what Sam Walton did. You know, uh, only rich people could have automobiles, but Henry Ford found a way to mass produce them and make them cheap so that everybody could have an automobile. Yeah. No, I love so, it. You know, with McDonald's, Ray Kroc figured out how to get where everybody can just go buy a hamburger. You know, they don't mm-hmm. have to wait. They don't have to do all of this stuff. They're too busy. They can just, you know, that. And uh, my dad one time, I, I used to, during the summers when I was going to college, I worked on the golf course at Atlanta Country Club. I just raking sand traps and mowing greens and laying sod and we were dirty, sweaty. It was hot, you know, in the middle of the summer out on the golf course and the broiling sun and the digging. And it was hard work. But one day, uh, golfers came through and uh, I saw that one of them was our bank president at Roswell Bank, where we banked. He was playing with uh, a group of people. Back then, there weren't a lot of golf courses like there are now in Atlanta Country Club. Mm-hmm. Anybody that was anybody in Atlanta, right, it'd be a part of Atlanta Country Club. So I saw our bank president. So I went home and told my dad, you know, that night we were at dinner. And I said, by the way, I saw Mr. Greenway out on the golf course today playing golf. He said, well, did you go over and speak to him? I said, no. I said, he was with three other men. I, I'm dirt. He said, oh, you should have gone over there. You should have gone over there and speak to him and just say, hey, Mr. Greenway, I'm Hal Coleman. I'm Harold Coleman's son, and we bank with you, and I just want to say hello to you. And he said he would have appreciated that. It would have made him smile, and he would have looked back and thought, wow, what a nice young man. He said, don't ever let somebody like that go by without reaching out and getting to know them. And so that kind of stuck with me, and I, I uh, networking in my community was the foundation of me growing my pest control business. I was a, a guy told me one time, he said, you're like a ninja when you network. He said, nobody ever knows where you're going to show up and you just show up and it's dramatic and you're everywhere. He and he started calling me the networking ninja. So yeah. the first book that I ever wrote was entitled the networking ninja hand, yeah. how to become a networking ninja. And, uh, you could get it at the networking ninja.com. See, it just kind of took off, but networking, all of that kind of that, those wheels started turning when my dad kind of chastised me that day at the dinner table for not walking over and meeting our bank president because, because mm-hmm. I thought I would be intruding or something. And my dad, no, no, he would have loved that. He would have loved to have known, you know, and so that, that really stuck with me. And, and, and I was a fierce networker the whole time I had my business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually, it's really funny. I've had a very similar experience with, with my dad where I, in a very similar way, they just didn't go say hi to somebody because they were talking to somebody else and, and that sort of thing. And he was just like, never pass up the opportunity to go say hi to somebody that, that you know, or like could introduce yourself to just like, and, and, and it's not, it, and like your instance, it's not even, 
in a, a always a business sense. It's like guys, just as a personal sense, go up and say hi to them. Like yeah. never pass up yeah. on that. You never know. You never know how that's going to come back around full circle. You know, uh, right? It's actually a form of sucking up. You know, but it's not the same thing, but it's like, yeah, never pass up an opportunity to meet somebody and just walk up and introduce yourself. And they're always excited that you do that. They're excited to meet somebody new because they're in this life to grow also. Yeah. Everybody likes getting recognized and everybody likes getting noticed, Um, no no matter how big or small that might be. Now the last couple questions. So it's called Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. And I believe that to become closer to the best version of yourself, it's kind of important to gain kind of like a kind of like a business uh, business plan. Like that guy set up like a five-year plan, kind of gaining clarity on what you what it, the business should look like down the road. And, and for me, it's, I think it's really important to gain clarity on kind of what the best version of yourself looks like. And then my goal every single day is gain clarity on him and then to find a way to reverse engineer him and make him a reality. And so I want you to kind of picture the best version of Hal Coleman. And is there a particular skill or particular piece of knowledge that the best version of yourself has that you don't currently have? That I don't currently have? Mm -hmm. How to add an extra million dollars this year. (laughs) (laughs) no you know i uh the older i get the more of a giver i become because the more appreciative i I look the more the further away i get from the beginning and i look back the more people i see that have helped me i had a i was at the uh a visitation at the funeral home for a, a friend of ours a few years ago he passed away he was an older guy and my pastor of my church and I I walked over to the coffin and I'm looking at this guy laying in the coffin and my pastor walked over behind me and he said, so, and we were talking about this guys and my pastor said, so, you know, one of someday you'll be laying in there and they'll be standing here talking about you. And what do you want them to say? I said, well, I thought about it and I said, I want them to say he moved, he moved. Look, <laughs> That's hysterical. No, I said, I want him to say, uh, let me tell you about the time Hal Coleman helped me do yada, 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 yada. Mm. Uh, He said, well, you think that's something? Let me tell you what he helped me do. Because I am more grateful than than anything else in this world for the people who have helped me get to where I am today, who have taught me the things that I know, who've held me accountable, held my feet to the fire, pushed me, pulled me, directed me. So that's kind of what I try to be. The best version of myself is, you know, I kind of wake up every day and my prayer is uh, to God, just put me in touch with somebody I can help today. Hmm. You know, and, and there again, it goes back to similar to what Zig Ziglar said, you know, you can have anything you want in life if you help enough other people. So most people are focused on what they want and trying to get it. But if you focus on helping other people get what they want, you know, what you want will take care of itself. It's so yeah. you just focus on the others and, and not on yourself. I love that. Well, that's a, that's a heck of an answer to that question. That's for sure. Before I, before I ask the, the last question, I want to make sure I acknowledge you, Hal, because I think that for you, you, you've gone out kind of like on a limb, almost like unknowingly, I feel like a, n- a number of times in, in your life with the 
the Milton crab apple thing. I think just like taking that small action, you never know what the, what kind of result could come from such a small action. And for you to kind of take that for you to run with it. And then for, you know, later on in your career to always look to, to give to people and everything like that. I think that's super, super special and something that's definitely unique. And I, I love your passion behind wanting to give back to others because of how much you've seen um, people give to you and everything like that. So I think that's awesome. And you've already, you've, you've mentioned a couple of things already, but I want to make sure people go out and support you so they can find the Networking Ninja at networkingninja.com. Don't go to the networkingninja.com. That's an old, old thing. Go to halcoleman.com. Halcoleman.com. Okay, that's Hal the best Coleman. place to go now. And, uh, okay. I have a podcast, the Pest Control Marketing Podcast. It's for small business people. It's not just for pest control people. It's for all small business people. You'll okay. find all of that on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and search Hal Coleman or go to Google and search Hal Coleman, you'll, I got, I'll probably have about eight websites and I have a fishing, I have a fishing website, you know, and, and, and but, uh, howcoleman.com perfect perfect well make sure i get all that stuff linked up in the show notes and everything so the last question is i i believe that becoming the best version of yourself is a constant journey and it's a unique journey i think that the way that i'm going to become the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get to the best version of yourself so what i want to ask again for you personally is if there are three things that you could currently do or three things that you could currently work on to get closer to that best version of yourself or to get closer to that best version of Hal Coleman, what are those three things that you could do well, or work on? I'm a, I'll be 70 on my next birthday. And uh, I don't scrounge like I did when I was in my 30s. I'm okay. always looking for the low-hanging fruit. But I, I would like to think that I have quite a few years left to pursue my business and what I'm doing because as long as my mind works, and my mouth works, I can do my business. But I, I, sometimes I wish I had more drive and more of a hard scrounging work ethic now than I, like I did back then. But there comes a time when you find yourself just kind of wanting to slow down, whether you want to do it, whether you want to do it or not, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I still have projects on the back burner that I want to get onto the front burner. You know, I have my bucket list of things that I want to do and probably never get them all done, but I have, I have too many hobbies. Uh, I still play music and perform from time to time. I roll exquisite hand roll cigars. That's a, that's a hobby of mine. I like to fly fish, have a little boat. I want to spend more time on the river also, which is about four miles from my house. I got my fishing buddies, you know, and uh, I almost have too many hobbies to work as hard as I ought to be working, you know, sometimes, but spending more time with my family. I, I spend a lot of time with my family. I'm fortunate that both of my, my, my kids are grown and, and they live here close by. And I have two grandkids that live here four miles away. So I'm really, really fortunate there because I talk to so many people whose kids or their grandkids live halfway across the country or across the country, you know, and I could see mine every day if I, if I wanted to. So I'm, I'm so fortunate that I almost don't like to even talk about any of the things I would like to do because I feel like almost like, Oh, I don't want to push it here. You know? Yeah. yeah things are good. And, and, uh, health is good and family's good. And 
I just, uh, Beautiful. I wanted, somebody told me one time, she said, you know, you eat life with a tablespoon. I said, <laughs> I, I took that as a real compliment, you know, because it just, uh, what, what does that mean? It means just, you know, life is just drooling out of both sides of the mouth. Okay. Uh, Spilling like life all over the place. Just, just, you know, trying to eat too much at one time. And hey, that's definitely a compliment. My wife said that was a good description of me. You know, people are afraid. Our subconscious mind is what controls us, and it's an organism of survival. It doesn't think, it just operates on instincts, and any change that comes along in our life, our subconscious mind views that as a threat. It's just like a lizard sitting on a fence post. If a shadow comes by, it goes around to the other side of the fence post. It doesn't know what shadow is, doesn't know whether it's a threat or a cloud or a hawk or what, but just uh, any change causes a freaky reaction in our subconscious. I call my subconscious mind Elmo, and uh, everybody has an Elmo. And uh, yeah. if you will send me your email, I'll send you a, a recording of my Elmo presentation. You might enjoy that. But people are afraid to try new things for the most part. And part of it is they're afraid of failure. It, you really see it in songwriting things where you are acting. I was an actor for a while, too. It's 98% rejection. And people can't take the 98% rejection. And I just tell them, hey, I just got 2% acceptance. I'm just trying to figure out how to get my 2% up to 2.5%. And that means I got a 20% increase in my 25% increase in my acceptance, you know. But be, don't be afraid to fail. I mean, nine out of 10 things I've ever tried didn't work. But if you try a thousand things, you come up with a hundred things that work. And you can you take go. those hundred things that work and now you can go build a career or you can build a life or you can, you know, you've got all the treasure in the world with those hundred things that work, but you forget about the 900 things that didn't work. So yeah. you just have to be willing to fail in order to be successful. You're going to fail a lot more than you're going to succeed. So you just fail fast, the faster you fail, the faster you succeed. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, that's a great way to finish. I, I appreciate it, Hal. That was awesome. Thank you. I enjoyed this very much. Of course, me too. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Hal Coleman. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave it a quick rating and review at the bottom of the Apple Podcast app and let me know what you thought. Remember, in order to grow a business, it's all about being unique, finding a way to stand out from the crowd by either having a different product or service than others, a much better product or service than others, or like Hal, finding a way to market yourself in such a unique way that leaves people remembering you and wanting more. I mean, that story with the Python, that was absolutely amazing. Hal is a prime example of uniqueness and not caring what others think. From his creation of Milton Crab Apple to his unique marketing strategies, Hal was always willing to put himself out there in order to grow and get better. This was a huge takeaway that I got from him, and I hope it inspires you to be creative and unique as well. But for now, it's time. It's time to take action. It's time to go out in the world and find a way to stand out and be unique so you can get closer and closer to your best you.